Scripture lesson today is taken from the third chapter of the Gospel of Luke, verses 7 through 18. John the Baptist said to the crowds that came out to be baptized by him, You brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Bear fruits worthy of repentance. Do not begin to say to yourselves, We have Abraham as our ancestor. For I tell you, God is able from these stones to raise up children to Abraham. Even now the axe is lying at the root of the trees. Every tree, therefore, that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. And the crowds asked him, What then What should we do? In reply, he said to them, Whoever has two coats must share with anyone who has none. And whoever has food must do likewise. Even tax collectors came to be baptized, and they asked him, Teacher, what should we do? He said to them, Collect no more than the amount prescribed for you. Soldiers also asked him, And we, what should we do? He said to them, Do not extort money from anyone by threats or false accusation, and be satisfied with your wages. As the people were filled with expectation, and all were questioning in their hearts concerning John, whether he might be the Messiah, John answered all of them by saying, I baptize you with water, but the one who is more powerful than I is coming. I am not worthy to untie the thong of his sandals. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand to clear his threshing floor and to gather the wheat into his granary. But the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. So with many other exhortations, John proclaimed the good news to the people. This is the word of the Lord. Let us pray. Lord, we make room to hear you through the words of this text, the words that I've prepared, and most importantly, through the Spirit who moves in each of us, uh, breathing in us and guiding and abiding us to you as we prepare to celebrate your arrival in our midst as God with us. Be with us now, we pray. Amen. So I don't know about you, but I hate to see a good tree cut down. Every time I hear the buzz of a chainsaw, I wince, wondering and lamenting which towering oak in my neighborhood might soon be falling. Now I know that trees cannot stand forever. Some rot on the inside, some threaten homes and structures Some are blown away by nature's gusts, and carpenters need to cut down trees in order to build up homes. But whenever I see arborists readying their ropes and ladders to climb limbs that they will soon methodically hack away, I want to plead with them. I want to ask them, do we really need to do this? Is there something else that we can do? You can call me a tree hugger if you'd like. Better that than a tree hater. And I'd like to think that I am not alone in feeling this way. 
because there are in Scripture people who are worried about the fate of trees. A crowd has come to the wilderness in search of John the Baptist and the baptism that they thought would do some good for them in ways perhaps they probably didn't know. And as Casey told the children, instead of giving them the warm and fuzzies that we often give at the, at the font, the, the talk of Jesus welcoming the children and the eternal love of God, John greets them with a rhetorical buzzsaw. He calls the crowd snakes. He warns them that they will soon fall like trees and burn with unquenchable fire. Doesn't that just put you in the Christmas spirit? <laughs> it makes me think of the Christmas special, and here's the tie-in to the sermon title that has so many of you so excited, um, where Charlie Brown cries out, doesn't anybody know what the real meaning... I messed it up. Let me try that again. Doesn't anybody know what Christmas is all about? And that prompts our favorite blanket-holding storyteller, Linus, to take his spot center stage. He asks for the lights to be dimmed, and he delivers in a most plaintive and innocent way the story of Christ's birth. What if Linus took the stage and instead said, Who warned you to flee from the wrath that is to come? Even now the axe is lying at the roots of the trees. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is therefore cut down and thrown into the fire. That's what the true meaning of Christmas is all about, Charlie Brown. <laughs> That's not the speech we want to hear. And this may not be the text we want to encounter so close, 12 days from Christmas. And perhaps out of my own desire to really avoid dealing with this text, I spent much time, perhaps more than I'd like to admit, reconfiguring it for use in other settings. For example, a new Starbucks slogan. You brood of ventis. Who warned you to flee from the froth that is to come? Or perhaps the opening keynote in an engineering conference. You brood of vectors. Who warned you to flee from the math that is to come? Oh, I've got one more. <laughs> it hit you right in the heart because it's one artery. And what that artery said to the others, you brood of vessels. Who warned you to flee from the, any guesses? The calf that is to come. Not that funny, but also not that effective and true to the spirit of this text, which has in it such urgency. There is urgency to what John says to that crowd, and there is urgency in them who hear it. And I believe there is urgency for us as well. There are some good trees in danger of being cut down too soon before their time. And yet, before we get too far into the doom and the gloom, we need to skip ahead a little into the story and remember that by the end of their encounter with this John the Baptist, the crowds, Luke tells us, were filled with expectation 
not horror, not shame, not fear, expectation. In fact, Luke tells us that they were their hearts are beating in such a way that they wondered whether this person, this John, might be the Messiah, the one who was coming to them, not to condemn them, but to save them. So I believe that if we leave our encounter with this text this morning, this very unlinus-like speech, and do not come away with some expectation and hope stirred in ourselves, some desire for us to encounter and recognize our own Savior whose birth we will soon celebrate, then perhaps we have missed the point. One interpretive move that I've found helpful this week is to picture John as the the coach giving his players a you-know-what speech at the halftime, just ripping them up. And the players endure his tirade, or hers, because the coach's is a trusted voice. And they have some sense, the players do, that what the coach is barking at them will ultimately help them to win. I think that's what was happening in this text. John's audience, at some level, enough of a level to leave their homes and find him, they trust him, or they want to anyway, and they are eager to know what they are to do to achieve victory, however they might have defined it, how to save those trees that were soon to be axed. And it's in his answer, I believe, that we see how it is that they are led at the end to be filled with expectation and anticipation, despite the fire and despite the brimstone. So I want us to note his interaction with three parts of the, the gathering. To the crowds who ask him, what should we do? He tells them, give up your extra coat and share a meal. Note that John didn't tell them to implement a wholesale clothing program or reconfigure the entire agricultural industrial complex. Just give up your coat if you don't need it. To the tax collectors who also wanted to know what they should do, he didn't say, throw away your whole career and stop taxing people. John said, just collect what you're supposed to and no more. And then the soldiers, to whom he did not say, abandon your weapons, go join the Peace Corps. He said, instead, don't use your power to extort other people. Be satisfied with what you are paid As an aside, I just want us to note how interesting it is that John equates having a few too many extra winter jackets on the same level as corruption and extortion. might make us look a little differently at the contents of our closets. But what I also see here in this text is the way in which John implores his audience to do the small things they can do now, those small repentings, those small turns, to God, so that they can share in what Christ will do when he soon comes. John demands that they do the little actions that lead to the fulfillment of something big. I read once where B.B. King, the blues legend, tells the story of how it is that he came to sing the blues. He said, growing up on the plantation there in Mississippi, I 
I'd go to town on Saturday afternoons and sit on the street corner and I'd sing and I'd play. I'd have a hat or a box or something in front of me. And the people that would request a gospel song were always very polite. And they'd say, son, you're mighty good. Keep it up. You're going to be great one day. But they never put anything in the hat. But people that would ask me to sing a blues song, well, they would always tip me. Maybe give me a drink of adult persuasion. They would always do something of that kind, and sometimes I'd make 50 or $60 on a single Saturday afternoon. B.B. King says, now you know why I'm a blues singer. <laughs> By giving him just a few bucks, blues lovers helped turn B.B. into the king. Now, I like the blues, but I wonder what if the gospel lovers had done the same. I think that's the story of the axe lying at the root of the trees, of John urging the people to do the little things that will lead to victory. How just a few dollars in the box could have turned the playing of blues into the singing of good news. And this is perhaps why just... The mere act of donating a single jacket can be about, can lead to something so much more. I loved the video I saw recently shared on Facebook about a a passionate and idealistic young student who, as part of a school project at college, set out to provide winter jackets for the homeless population in Detroit. But she wasn't giving out just an ordinary jacket. She was creating a whole new hybrid jacket that if you folded and unzipped and manipulated in some way at night would turn into a sleeping bag. And so she diligently went out and test marketed and consulted with the homeless who tried it on and and they got it close to perfection and she was ready to bear the fruits, to enjoy the fruits of her labor when she had something of a John the Baptist brood of vipers moment. Because instead of gratefully receiving the jacket, a homeless woman came to her and gave her an angry earful, the full halftime speech treatment. We don't need jackets, she screamed. We need jobs. And this rebuke led the young woman to move beyond the giving away of jackets to the creation of a factory that would hire homeless women to teach them how to manufacture Jackets for the homeless. And all this started because a student wanted to donate a winter jacket. That's it. By agreeing to do one thing, she was asked and equipped to do even more. It's kind of like any home improvement project, at least the ones I'm involved with. You start thinking you're doing one thing, and then you discover you need to do a lot more. I see some of you at Home Depot on some of my return trips. If you came in the sanctuary door in the narthex, you notice perhaps a plastic tarp that the Buildings and Grounds Committee has covered up because, uh, well, we were just going to retouch up the paint over the doorway in the lobby, and they found, oh, there's some rotting wood. So now we have a whole other job on our hands. And that's why what John asks of the crowd, those initial incremental, incremental steps, 
carry some risk because they're going to ask and involve the people into a deeper and deeper level of commitment and service. I have no doubt that the crowds, the tax collectors, the soldiers who obeyed those initial commands found themselves invited or prompted or pushed to give even more. I say all this because like the towering trees under siege in neighborhoods, so many of our taken-for-granted structures in our communal and our individual lives are in peril. Our sense of security in light of internal and external threats, the health of our relationships in our households and in our diverse communities, and indeed our very ideals and identity which are being threatened by fear and by frenzy. These are all such large, intractable problems. And yet I see refuge and I see possibility unexpectedly in this very harsh text in John's blood vessel popping in the forehead halftime speech. John provides us, angrily, some micro-steps, the giving of small, doable gifts that may lead happily to the greater treasure, to the Christ who will give his life to give his world team the victory, even over death itself. And that's what we're celebrating here in this church as we anticipate Christmas in 12 short days. How God started by giving us one small and precious little baby which led to God giving his very life for the precious life of the world. How John speaks of his baptism of water that he offered that crowd which would lead them to the baptism of fire and of spirit that Jesus would offer them later. Isn't it fascinating that a primary symbol of Christmas for us in this country is a cut-down tree? We pay all the attention to the top of the tree where the lights shine and the ornaments hang. But hidden down below, behind the presence, is a lacerated trunk where the axe and the saw have done their work. I believe that John the Baptist wants our gaze there as well as a warning as to what is lost when we do not participate in small ways in the big life of Christ who comes. That warning carries with it the promise that we who must start small will be made big in Christ. That the small donation that you make downstairs at the Alternative Giving Bazaar might just be the beginning of someone making good news music or laying the foundation of new factories. That the lighting of the first Advent candle will lead to the ring of light that will come with Christ at the center that the small piece of bread and small taste of juice that you will share will become the very body and blood of Christ so that we may be that body and that blood in the world. What are we to do? What extra jacket are we being asked to lay aside? In what ways can we do our jobs such that we take less from someone who needs more.
With chainsaws buzzing all around us, what tree will we spare this Christmas? By that first step, that first donation, that first candle that will lead us to Christ. Halftime is soon over, so let's go. Amen.